He is the man in charge of the vaccine rollout in the province of Ontario. Pleased to be joined by retired General Rick Hillier. He's on the line and joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. General Hillier, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, good afternoon. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, plenty of ground to cover, and I want to start with the Prime Minister. He's going to meet with the Premiers tomorrow. He said yesterday that he is frustrated by the vaccine rollout. And according to some estimates, only one-third of the vaccines received so far have been given out. You're not only on the front lines, but in many ways, you are the front line here in the province of Ontario. What has been or is the biggest obstacle getting needles into arms? Well, Jeff, right now, the biggest obstacle getting needles in the arms is knowing that we're going to have more vaccines show up next week and the week after and the week after in bigger numbers. And so, you know, Premier Ford just said it, and I heard the last part of the presser with him, that uh, the vaccines that we had, we're going to be finished with them by this weekend. And the vaccines that came in yesterday afternoon and, and last night, we will be finished with next week. We're going to have uh, vaccination centers in the hospitals that are running around Ontario, going to run out of vaccines starting tomorrow through the weekend and next Tuesday, unless we get more and more more quickly. And so the, the obstacles were at the front end as we turned this machine on and got it going. Yes, we would have been faster. I would have preferred to have been faster doing it. We've now got an operation where, you know, yesterday we did over 10,000 vaccines. Today is going to be between 12 and 15,000 vaccinations. And the problem with now being that efficient, and we're going to ramp it up even more, the problem with being that efficient is we're going to run out of vaccines. And there's our great challenge right now. As people start, as of yesterday, coming back for that second dose, and obviously that's part of the vaccination rollout program, right, two vaccines uh, to, to be vaccinated, uh, we are going to now have to dedicate an increasing number of the ones that we get coming in to those because the number will continue to grow. And so what we want, really, and, and if Ottawa wants to help, I mean, we'd love to have the help, more vaccines, more quickly, and we'll get them in the arms. We've got a bunch of leaders in the hospitals running the vaccination sites. We've got a bunch of leaders in the provincial health units that are running the long-term care uh, vaccination program inside of Toronto, Peel, York, and Windsor, Essex. And, you know, the premier challenged us, Jeff, to do 161 homes in those four regions, and he wanted them done by the 21st of January. We're going to do them. That's 55,000 almost doses, over 50,000 doses of vaccine. We're using the Moderna for that, and, and we're going to do them. And the, the provincial health units in those four regions are working with the hospitals, who often put a harm around many of the retirement homes and, and long-term care homes in their vicinity, and they're going to be finished before the 21st of January. The next shipment of Moderna doesn't arrive till almost two weeks from now. We have to save that for the second dose for those residents because finishing by 21 January is just one needle. We have to save that next shipment because we know the shipment after that doesn't arrive till sometime in February, so we really can't take a chance. So right now, the obstacle to putting more vaccines in the arms of people of Ontario is the lack of the vaccines coming down the pipeline towards us. We want more and we want them more quickly, and we'd love to see that. And we know there are great challenges in getting them to us, but let's all push for more. Okay, uh, General, I want to ask you a little more about uh, LTC, long-term care, uh, because we're hearing that one in five uh, personal support workers are basically saying thanks but no thanks to the shot. And they say that they're both uh, burnt out and that they, quite frankly, just don't trust politicians uh, anymore. What would your message be to them? Well, number one is I, I understand that they say they're burnt out or they're fatigued or they're tired. My goodness, they have been on the front line of this war with all the tragedies that it has brought over these last 10 or now 11 months, I think it is. And, and, and they're my heroes. Oh, my goodness, they're incredible. I can understand them being fatigued and being tired. 
And if there's one bright light in the future going forward here for in this war against COVID-19, it is that vaccine. We can offer those residents that they tenderly care for and compassionately care for so well. We can offer them that level of protection, and we can offer the healthcare workers, the essential workers, that same level of protection. You know, in, in past vaccinations, the healthcare population has sometimes been the most reluctant, if, if that's the way I could put it, to participate, including, for example, the flu vaccine. We've had good take-up so far. I don't know exactly what that percentage is, but what I do believe is that we'll gain a momentum which will, uh, I think, cause more people and encourage more people working there to want to get it, hopefully 100% of them, because as the residents get vaccinated and, and you see that they're getting that level of protection, as their, as their colleagues get vaccinated and you see they have that level of protection, I think we'll get a momentum. And, and you know, for the second part, they don't have to trust politicians. That's, that's their business, but you can trust Health Canada. Health Canada put the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine through the most rigorous, robust process of accreditation that is imaginable, and they would not have approved it. Uh, they would not have let it be issued to people in Canada to go into their arms unless they were confident that it was the kind of vaccine that was going to do good and not bad. And obviously, they are confident of that, and that's where I set my sort of confidence. It's, it's Health Canada's process, and they've told us this is the vaccine to fight COVID-19, I commend the, the workers who are reluctant to read, to go on to Health Canada, read about the uh, vaccines, both Pfizer and Moderna, and then make their decision. And I'm confident they would make a decision to get that vaccine. And if you're okay. worried about something going in your body, just think about how bad COVID-19 is going in your body compared to a vaccine. Well, you mentioned Health Canada. And leading up to the approval of the first vaccine, you repeatedly said that we would be ready to roll uh, 30 December or 31 December. And it was right at the end of the uh, month. But when that Health Canada approval came and the vaccine arrived, when we all remember the premier on the tarmac in Hamilton uh, there for the first uh, shipment, General, why weren't those timelines uh, moved ahead? Well, in fact, we did move some of them ahead. And, we, you know, I would have liked to have been faster. The first vaccines arrived two hours later, literally two hours later at University Health Network. Uh, we had the first vaccines going into the arm of the first healthcare workers. <clears throat> excuse me. And the next day, at both University of Health Network of, of uh, here in Toronto and uh, Ottawa Hospital in Ottawa, uh, those vaccinations proceeded to pace to use those first 6,000. We were a little bit slower for the next shipment that came in, which was a bigger shipment. And, and look, I take responsibility for all of that. We've learned from all those things. We've turned on the engine of, of the throughput in a, in a magnificent way now. And those CEOs of the hospitals that are running the vaccination sites are all over this, and they're increasing capacity. But the same issue comes back. We can increase capacity. We can run 24-7. We run seven days a week. We can, we can expand the, the, the clinics and get more people in, but we want to have the vaccine, vaccines to give them. You know, I just had a note from one of the hospitals say, look, I've got 2,000 people booked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and I don't have the vaccines necessary to give them to them. Can we reallocate? Allocate? Can we get more? That's the circumstance that we are at right now. So, yeah, I would have loved to have been faster starting up, but we are started now, and we have this massive engine in the province, and we're going to roll. We just need more vaccines to feed it. Joined on the line by retired General Rick Hillier. Uh, General, I also wanted to ask you, uh, there's a lot of talk today about the announcement that inmates are going to be vaccinated this week. I know Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole is speaking out against this. A lot of talk on social media. No doubt you've uh, seen this. Many people are upset that convicted criminals will be vaccinated before grandma or their uh, elderly family members. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, we've not gone to any detention facilities here uh, yet with our rollout. 
Uh, we, our parties, have been in those in the most vulnerable circumstances. We are so focused on those long-term care homes in, in the red zones where we've had the tragedy visited repeatedly, and the and the people inside of those homes are held hostage to that terrible ravages of of COVID-19. And we are focused on our healthcare workers. We don't have enough vaccines to do all of them, as I've said now numerous times. And so that's where our focal point is. I would simply remind people, though, look, in in, in the spirit of human kindness and kindness and generosity. Anybody who was, uh, who was an inmate in anywhere in Canada, uh, they didn't receive a death sentence, and, and nor should it be visited upon them because they are an inmate. They're serving their time. They're doing their punishment, and that should be what we as Canadians expect them to do. Uh, that doesn't mean we, we give them a death sentence by ignoring them. Right now in Ontario, we are focused on our those in the vulnerable circumstances, long-term care homes, retirement residents, and our health care workers, and we're going flat out to give them the protections that they need and then we'll move on as we get more vaccines and finish these first two priorities. We'll start moving on to the next phase. But for that, we're going to need a lot more vaccines, and we're going to need them as soon as we can possibly get them. All right. Uh, just finally, I wanted to ask you, as we get to ready and ramp up to general vaccination, which I know is many months away, but obviously the planning has to start now. What is the plan to make sure that vaccines will get to as many people as possible in as short a time frame as possible? Well, First of all, I just correct you a little bit by saying that the planning is going to start soon. Not so. We have long started that planning, and we've advanced it fairly well, and we've laid out a concept of operations, and inside of that, some detailed planning to make sure we can do that. And it's a, and, and, and it's a really simple equation. The complexity is in how you execute it, and that's why we have leadership on the ground. We are going to roll out really lines of operation. One will be mass vaccination sites, uh, and not just the ones that are in the hospitals now, but, you know, We've asked, uh, we've asked the City of Toronto to look at being able to stand up a mass vaccination site, use it as a pilot program very soon, and then roll that out across the province. So mass vaccination sites are one of them. Family physicians are another. Using the pharmacies in Ontario is a crucial part of our plan going forward. We've got 4,600 pharmacies in Ontario. Not every one of them would be an ideal vaccination site, but the capacity and the flow-through that they could manage... Uh, is is huge in terms of numbers, you know, anywhere from a half million to a million a week, and we will use them. And then lastly, we also want to use special vaccination clinics and mobile vaccination clinics because we want to go into areas where the populations have been disproportionately affected, have had the ravages of COVID-19 visited upon them, but they're often not the kinds of population who are going to find information on Facebook or the web, and they're not the ones that will come to vaccination sites. And so you know, we talk about, you know, urban Indigenous, we want to make sure that we look after them. They're high in our priority list because they've had the ravages of COVID-19 on them. We're talking about some of the communities that are, are, are racialized communities and, and some of those places that have had COVID-19 visit on them, people that sometimes are living not necessarily fully on the grid. I'm not sure how to describe that, but they don't always have OIP cards, and they're not going to come to vaccination sites. We want to make sure we look after them also. So we're going to roll out both mass vaccination sites and a vast number of vaccination sites using all of those, all of those things and more. And we're going to make sure that when we get the big uh, doses of uh, vaccines that we expect to get in April, May, and June, when we're looking at a total of 15 million vaccines coming to Ontario, that's what, that's what we've been led to believe by the federal government, that we're going to be ready for it and we're going to use all of those mechanisms to get through them as quickly as we possibly can. That will mean that we're going to put about 150,000 needles into our arms each and every single day of that three, three-and-a-half-month period. And we're ready to do that based on that plan and ramping up various pieces of it now so it actually is 
already started, warmed up, and ready to go as the vaccines increase. And we'll bring yeah. them online one at a time through March to make sure we're ready. Okay. Uh, drive-through, is that being discussed at all, drive-through vaccination? Nope. Not at this point in time. Uh, I have not had any discussions on that. I know it will come up. And if it is an appropriate way of doing things, uh, we'll both consider it. And if it's appropriate, we'll do it. Uh, but we've not had those discussions right now. All right. Retired General Rick Hillier. General, really appreciate both the time and the update this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, my pleasure. Let me give me 10 more seconds here, man. Say, look, we've got a period of time before those big doses show up and we can get to the population in the interim. For goodness sakes, please, everybody, wear a mask, wash your hands, stay home, stay away from people, and let's contain the virus that way until we can get those vaccines to people to give you a level of protection that we don't have right now. Stay home, stay safe. You bet. General Hillier, thanks again. Well, obviously not the result we were hoping for or wanted. Canada silver medalist at this year's World Junior Hockey Tournament, losing 2 nothing to the Americans, uh, the Americans, uh, last night. And here with more now is Nick Kiprios. He joins us on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Nick, nice to talk to you as always, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Okay, uh, anytime we uh, lose, we don't get gold at the World Juniors. All of a sudden, there's a lot of navel-gazing, as you well know. What is wrong with hockey uh, Canada? Should we be concerned about uh, our hockey program in this country? I don't think so. Um, in, in terms of still producing top-quality players, Jeff, we're going to be doing that for a long, long time. But you got to understand, too, that other programs are getting stronger as well. Popularity in hockey in the United States is at an all-time high. They're producing kids from everywhere now. Just didn't happen in my era when you heard about a kid in California or Florida or Texas or anywhere else. And now it's common. So the numbers actually are in favor of the U.S. to possibly go on a, on a bigger run than they already have at the junior A level. And uh, Canadians should just be prepared for that. Yeah, is it the fact that the talent pool is getting richer and better? Or how much do you think played into the fact that this was a tournament unlike any other and there were no fans played in Edmonton? How much of a disadvantage was that for Team Canada not to have the home crowd there, do you think? Well, listen, it, I think it was huge. And I, you know, I was watching the game and I, I was saying that very thing, you know, when you're down one nothing or 2 nothing, and there's just no energy in the building. And 18,000 people, no question, would have found a way for them to find one more gear and one more push. It just didn't happen. And factor in that, you know, it was an easy ride for Canada up until going into last night's game. They had no... No animosity, no controversy, um, and and they just didn't find a way to dig down deep and have any comparable lessons throughout the tournament that they could they can fall on. And without that, it just didn't seem like they could kick it into gear. And then you have the U.S. on the other hand that had tremendous amount of adversity 24 hours earlier when they blew a 3-1 lead to Finland. And they drew off of that. They just said that they weren't going to be denied. And they went into the gold medal game saying we weren't going to be denied. And once they got that first goal, there was no looking back. But let's not forget, they're still teenagers. They're still kids growing physically, mentally, emotionally. And it, it, we got to leave it in its place a little bit. Let's not 
overanalyze this as Canadians, as we often do, as you said earlier in, uh, in, in our segment. Yeah, maybe the only controversy Team Canada faced was in the first game when they just scored too many goals. Boy, we could have used a few of those uh, 16 goals uh, last night for sure. Uh, is there anybody on this uh, team moving forward that really stood out for you that uh, hockey fans should be keeping uh, their eye uh, out for in the next couple of years, do you think, Dick? Well, I think Cousins has shown that he's a top performer. Dylan Cousins, uh, to me, you know, at times really took a, a stranglehold of, of Team Canada. You know, on defense, uh, Byram and Jamie Drysidle kind of carried that team with a good supporting cast of like Harley and Barron and Schneider. But, you know, so many kids have so much pressure on them coming out of this tournament to be great players and you know, TSN does a great job of, 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 of providing a platform for these kids to really shine. But it's a double-edged sword, Jeff. Whereas, you know, there's new pressures and some of them handle it exceptionally well and some of them buckle. And some of them that were pegged as can't-miss kids fall by the wayside in two or three years. Go back and, and look at, you know, the tournament where there was 12th overall picks and 13 overall picks. And right now uh, they're out of the league. They're not playing and, and they could not, you know, measure up. So, you know, unfortunately with the hype that TSN does a great job of comes also the pressure and some of them don't handle it too well. It, you never really can bank on anything in terms of, you know, surefire. Yes. There are a few that you can just say, Hey, listen, um, they're going to be stars, Connor McDavid, right? Um, you know, some of these players that have gone through the tournaments, but there's others that between the years, that's what it really counts. Joined on the line by Nick Kiprios. Uh, Kipper, last time uh, we talked uh, just before the uh, new year, we were speculating about when the NHL might start up. We got a date now. It's January the 13th. And we were also uh, talking about the need for the league to uh, make some revenue. And it looks like they're going to make a little bank here by, uh, sponsoring the, the divisions, each of the four divisions now come with a corporate sponsor. What's your take on that? Well, I, I don't think, uh, first of all, it's a, 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 a path that the NHL never really wanted to go down. So I'm not sure, and I'm not convinced it's just going to be written in stone that this is the way it's going to be in the future. Uh, I don't know all the parameters of the deal, a lot of people think that this is a big, huge windfall for the NHL. I'm not sure, Jeff. We've got to remember here that all these deals with these corporations here were based on, once upon a time, an 82-game season. So I'm not sure if this is new revenue or if the league's just trying to make up uh, what these corporations have already lost in terms yeah, but of the season. Yeah, speaking of losing, though, Nick, are we losing something here, though, by selling the naming rights now to divisions and who knows what's next? I mean, this has been argued uh, for decades now, ever since, uh, you know, it was once Maple Leaf Gardens. Now it's Air Canada Centre, then Scotiabank uh, Arena. I mean, do we lose a, a little uh, something? Uh, does a little polish come off the uh, game when you're selling out to these corporate interests? Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. It cheapens it. And... Uh, there, there's some nights, Jeff, when I'm, I'm talking on air, and I don't even want to mention the building name because I can't remember who's the corporation or uh, if they've already made a change, <laughs> yeah. and you, you just avoid it. So the last thing I want to see 
is an NHL jersey looked like a one of those goofy NASCARs with all the stickers on them. It's it's horrible. But I can also understand that we are in trying times right now, and there's some some owners and and, and players that are, you know, in scenarios where. Um, we don't know whether or not their their pockets are deep enough or they're going to have to sell or they don't want to play. And you're doing whatever you can to put a product on the ice. But moving forward, God, I hope it doesn't uh, end up just being uh, uh, every last square inch for sale. I can uh, see it now. I can hear it uh, as we're speaking, uh, Nick. Uh, we've got two teams battling for first place in the Scotiabank division here at Scotiabank Arena during Scotiabank Hockey Night in Canada, brought to you by Huawei. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? If that's the case, I got a I got a beverage called Little Buddha. Uh, let's throw that in as well. <laughs> you bet, Kipper. Pleasure as always. It's nice that hockey is back January thirteenth. I'm sure we'll be speaking then. Be well. Looking forward to it, Jeff. Thanks for the time. All right. There's Nick Kibrios. Okay, if I can get personal for just a second here. Do you mind if I ask you, uh, what brand of glasses are you wearing? Are those Armani, Oliver Peoples, or Alexa? Yeah, that's right, Alexa. <laughs> Amazon has announced that they are actually entering the glasses market with, how about this, a pair of frames that will allow you access to Alexa. And with more, here's our tech expert, Adam Oldfield. He joins us on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Adam, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here as always, pal. Okay, what's up with these uh, glasses? Explain these for us. Well, it's, uh, it's Amazon's way to let the world know that it's not just a shopping platform, and Alexa has a lot of purpose in the world. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of the tech companies migrate into different areas. Uh, and this is one example where, uh, congratulations on Amazon coming, uh, coming out with this with Alexa. Uh, the Echo Frames, as they refer to it, was a rumor, and they've announced that they're now available. And they come with a couple features, Jeff. That's really neat, but really just visualize Visualize, get it, glasses. Visualize this on your face, and it's got speakers, and it integrates with, uh, obviously, Alexa to control voice uh, items. So whether it's a smart home or maybe your thermostat or, you know, maybe you want to, if you have Amazon Music or even better, cars have come with uh, Alexa in it. So you'll be able to integrate, of course, using glasses. Now, uh, you can get prescription frames, and this is going to be the big thing in 2021. Right up until 2023, glasses are huge. There's rumor that Apple is not too far behind this, uh, claiming that in June, Apple will be jumping out with Apple Glass, uh, with even their own operating system, Glass OS. Um, So Amazon launching is uh, moving forward into this field, Amazon's been jumping all around, and they've done this with, obviously, uh, Alexa. Uh, They've done it with their operating system. They're now doing it with the hardware. They tried it with the tablet, but they're doing this with a little bit of, uh, I should say, integration to the bigger picture here, Jeff, and that is uh, uh, Amazon is going more into the retail, touchless, and uh, uh, when I say retail, so Apple, these Echo Frames, 
are really also going to be advanced to the degree you could wear them, walk into an Amazon store or the Amazon Express and be able to grab groceries. Or, uh, by the way, uh, Amazon, if you hadn't known, is also working with Walmart. This is one of those deals that we hear about. These glasses are more than just going to tell you the latest of what Alexa does and listen to the latest of music. It's going to help you shop. It's going to help you price compare. And it's all going to be done uh, very, very shortly, not in the tier near future we can expect this tech uh and all the features that come with it okay fill in the blanks here for me though if i'm wearing a pair of these echo frames the alexa glasses uh we got speakers that uh, obviously drop into my ear but can i get information like visual uh, on the lens is that going to pop up kind of like terminator style <laughs> no, that's the part which I believe we'll see with the next advancement. No, this one is more on a just a clear glass. It's not going to have a heads-up display, a HUD, uh, as it's commonly referred to. Uh, they're going to probably come out with version 2.0 with that ability. Uh, it's going to it's going to give you that little sense of obviously some clear frames, but the glasses, the frames themselves, are are what is the cool uh, element. Meaning you'll be able to listen and it won't disturb people around you. You'll be able to sit on a subway or in public transit, have your echo frames on, and you'll be able to listen to music or uh, speak to Alexa without disturbing those around you. So say you're shopping for something or you want to turn down the thermostat or or turn the heat up because you're on your way home, uh, it's going to be able to let you have more control. But what you're describing with the Terminator heads-up display, uh, that's probably not going to be until we see the next variations of, uh, of the frames coming that's the augmented reality, and that's going to be with, uh, I would say, the end of 2021, beginning of 2022. We'll see those come out. All right, screw it then. I just, <laughs> I thought I was going to be walking around like Arnold Schwarzenegger here, but I guess I'll uh, wait a little longer. But that's where we're going, Adam, is like basically I could have these frames on. I could look at an item, then all of a sudden, like it's wiki page or a description of the uh, item would come up in front of me with, with the price, and I could blink twice and buy it. I, I would. I know about the blinking and buying, but yes, it would be almost exactly like that. And uh, boy, you know, I, I was all excited when we started this segment, Jeff, and, and I felt like I took the balloon. The air came out of the balloon. And I could hear it <laughs> in the air as you heard me tell you that there was no heads-up display. But they're still pretty cool. Like, don't go thinking that they're not that cool yet. Um, but they do come with a lot of other elements. But you're right. It pro- I can't speak for Amazon, but the ability of being able to look up an item, scan a barcode, tell you the price of the item and uh, think of it as almost like giving you an added total of what your total purchase will be. Uh, in addition, there's talks about the ability of being able to gra- uh, look at an item, put it in your grocery cart. As it scans, it will give you an update as to what your total grocery bill will be. So there's going to be a lot of uh, advancements of the benefits of it. And in our COVID world, um, this is, def- is going to be probably something that's going to launch and do very well. Okay, is there any uh, development or any talk at all about making my glasses sunglasses as well? I know this is a complete sidebar, but I was just thinking, you know what, with technology the way it's going when it comes to uh, eyewear, why does I need two pairs? Why do I need a pair of glasses and a pair of sunglasses? Why can't I just turn the tint up on my lens eventually? Yeah, that exists. That exists right now. Those are oh, come available on. today. 
Yeah, that part you can get today. Yeah, that, that's that's not tech that doesn't that isn't out yet. That's that's available for you. I know. I know. There's progressives or whatever they're called, right? Where you walk in transition lenses. That's what transitions. It is, right? Yes. Yeah. Are you asking for an opportunity using Amazon to turn down uh, the uh, the shade, or could you up the uh, the thirty percent tint, similar to like some kind of dazzling LED Honda driving down the street? Is that what you're talking? Yeah, about? that'd be great. <laughs> I know. Just a random idea that uh, occurred to me since we're not at the Terminator stage uh, yet. Having said that, some very exciting uh, developments. How excited are you, by the way, just before we let you go, uh, Adam, when it comes to tech in 2021? Is there anything that's really on your radar you're highly anticipating this year? Um, well, you know what? This is a, a definite stepping point in the direction we're moving in with regards to the glasses. Uh, I think we're, what I also am excited about is hologram. I think we're going to see a lot of that, and, and whether that's through uh, augmented reality and lenses, as, as I highlighted. But I believe uh, the artificial intelligence is what I'm really excited about, what it's capable of doing. Number two is I'm excited about the augmented reality element, whether uh, we're going to see VR goggles, not so much the glasses, but goggles really take a leap and I really am excited to see that especially as we're quickly uh, in lockdown uh, taking education at home working remotely uh, I see that leaping in in a in, in such a, a quick format with regards to uh, the reality of jumping into that 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 kind of virtual classroom or uh, we're going to go to a, a far Caribbean land uh, by simply putting on our, our VR helmet and the augmented reality will be able to control the temperature, give us a sensation of being there, um, and then it's going to be a whole problem uh, of, of issues. So this year, those are the two things that I anticipate that uh, I'll be going, wasn't that great, Jeff, in, in November of 2021? Look what happened and look where we're at and look at all the new things that are going to be coming up. That's, that's going to be the, the, the big things for me this year. Well, whether it's augmented or virtual reality, just bring it on because reality, as we've known it lately, sucks. So we're, we're ready for some augmentation. <laughs> Adam, thanks as always. Uh, pleasure talking, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great afternoon. You as well, buddy. There's our tech expert, Adam Oldfield.